And let's begin this morning with a word of prayer and just ask the Lord to uh, speak to us today. So if you would, just pause for a moment with me this morning and pray, Lord, today, speak to me. And believing that, all God's people said, Amen, Amen. We are uh, finishing up a series today. We've been in for uh, the past eight weeks called Witness. And really unpacking what does it mean? What, what did Jesus mean in Acts 1-8 when He said that you will be My witnesses? And, and we've looked at, at everything in this series. We've talked about how hypocrisy can sometimes hurt our witness. We've talked about how we can be better representations of Christ. How we can reflect His love to others. How we can um, show His love to people by helping them walk through their stuff. And, and we've just talked about a lot of different things. And uh, we're going to end today with how we can and how we are called to share the invitation to salvation in Jesus Christ with people and how maybe that we can do a better job about, uh, with that. Now in about 20 to 30 minutes, you're going to see a family come in. And it, they, they think they're coming to the uh, 10.30 service, and so I don't want you to get distracted by that. It happens every year, okay? They, it may be more like, you know, the time we're taking communion, but so don't, don't laugh at them. Don't make a big deal. It's okay. Uh, we love them too. They just didn't spring, spring forward with the rest of you. So uh, congratulations on getting that right this year. Well, I want to begin this morning in the uh, book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus is speaking here, and this is what He says. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears My voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with Me. I want us to understand something that's just foundational, something at the very beginning of the message this morning, is that Jesus, notice that He says, I stand at the door and knock. Now, if you've read Scripture, you know Jesus I mean, doors do not contain Jesus. He's, he's walked through uh, doors after the, the resurrection with the disciples to appear to them. Uh, there's other times recorded in the Scripture where He's done miraculous things. And so there's no way that a door is going to uh, hinder Jesus from, from coming to us. But this is by choice and by design. It goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve is that God gives us a freedom of choice. Because we're made in the image of God and in the likeness of God, God has totally a free will to do as He pleases as the God of the universe. And He grants that to us because He wants a relationship with us that's based on our response to Him. And that's why we read in Revelation 3.20 that Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't break down the door and take you hostage as His children. He says, I want you to love me because of who I am, because of, of what, what I have done for you. And so I'm going to stand at the door and knock. And then there's the response. Is after he's standing at the door knocking, it's, it's, it's our response. If anyone hears my voice, he's, even, he's not only just knocking, he's talking. He's saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. Whoever hears that voice and opens that door, then he says, I will come to him. So I'm, I'm going to come into your life and I will eat with him and he with me. And, and that's not really talking about you know, sharing a meal together so much as it's talking about fellowship. That I will come in and I'm going to have fellowship. I'm going to sit down with you. I'm going to spend time with you. And I'm going to have a relationship with you. And that was a sign back in the, at the time of the Bible of a deep affection and fellowship was to share a meal with someone. And so he says, I stand at that door and knock. And he's still standing at the door and knocking on so many lives and so many hearts today. 
And we're going to talk about this a little bit at the end of the message this morning, but I wanted to begin with that understanding that, that Jesus is not going to force anyone uh, to salvation, but he comes and he beckons us and he calls us and he knocks on the door and he speaks to us and, and he shows us his love and affection through the cross, through the resurrection, which we'll celebrate in Easter in just five weeks. And if anyone would hear that and open the door to their life, he's going to come in, he's going to change everything. And it's going to be awesome. This morning as we talk about how, how, how do we better share the invitation to salvation, I want to show you uh, how Jesus himself uh, was inviting people. So if you would turn your Bible to John chapter 1, John's Gospel chapter 1. If you're using the Bible that we provide for you, uh, please grab that, turn it to page 886. And as always, you can follow along in the app and all the notes and scriptures are there for you. But John chapter 1, beginning with verse 35, if you have a subheading there, it might say something to the effect of Jesus calling the disciples or Jesus calling the first disciples. And there in John chapter 1, verse 35, it says this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So this John that he's talking about there is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was sent before Jesus as a precursor for Jesus to point the way to salvation, uh, to, to point his ministry and everything he was doing with his followers, also called disciples, with his disciples were pointing toward Jesus. Now look what happens. It says the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, so they crossed paths, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and then they followed Jesus. And this was good. John would have been very excited about that. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, come, and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So they have come to faith and belief in Jesus. We brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Did you notice how before it was Jesus saying, Come and see. And now it's been, been passed on to Philip. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
Once you notice in that passage that Jesus is extending several invitations there. He, he, he's first of all asking questions, what are you seeking? And then he says, come and, and see, come and follow me. He, he, he is progressive in his nature as he continues to offer these invitations. And then you see how the, the very earliest of followers right away began inviting others to see. As, um, as you see down there in uh, verse 46, where Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see Jesus. What I want us to understand this morning is that this passage so reminds us that that the call to Jesus and people's spiritual progress toward Christ is really dependent upon invitations that others issue to them. We see this throughout Scripture in the Bible. We see it throughout the disciples and the apostles even into uh, further times in the New Testament. And we see it in the example of the Son of God here, the fact that Jesus invites. He invites people to come and see. He invites them then to come and follow. But Jesus invites. He gives an invitation to a relationship with him, an invitation to salvation. I want us to understand this morning that God draws people to himself through those witnesses willing to provide verbal entrance ramps to others. That's you and me. God draws people to himself through those witnesses willing to provide verbal entrance ramps, having conversations with people, those verbal entrance ramps to others. So this morning I really want to talk about, as we, as we finish this series up, how do we better share the invitation to salvation? How do we better share that in our lives? How can we uh, be even better disciples in these areas? I want to share a few thoughts with you this morning. And the first one is this, is that we need to be progressive. In our invitation to salvation, we need to be progressive. And what I mean by that is that we need to issue progressively deeper invitations to conversations with unbelievers. We need to issue progressively deeper invitations in our conversations with non-believers. Let me explain what I mean by this. You may go to somebody today that you, you've met them and you know right away that, that by their lifestyle, uh, this is a non-believer, this is someone who is who's running away from God, they don't know God at all. And you may say, I'm having a Bible study at my house tonight and, and I want you to come. Now, you, you have some people that will respond to that. They're going to appreciate that you've invited them. But when you were, use the word Bible study, that just freaks some people out. Because think about this person that's an unbeliever. Do they even have a Bible? Some people today don't know what a Bible is. I've, I've, I've been, I've been kind of shocked to learn this as I've been doing some of our youth sports here at the church. And we do devos with kids. And I use the word Bible. And they're like, what's a Bible? Seriously? You live in America, it's the United States, we're in the Bible Belt, and the buckle of it right here in Enid, Oklahoma. You don't know what a Bible is? No. No, in fact, we're handing out Bibles over there all the time to kids that don't know what one is and has never had one. Can you imagine that? How many of us grew up with a Bible, right? And yet, there are so many people that are lost. And, and that, that, first, that, that first invite might not be best to take them into some deep study. Maybe, maybe you're having a special prayer time. I'm getting together with tonight with some friends. And we're going to just pray for each other, pray for our families, and pray for our walk with God. I want to invite you to that. And they're like, prayer? It's like, I, I've never talked to God. I don't know what to say. And when I, I went to a church a couple times with my grandma like 20 years ago, and some guy got up there on stage and was like, Vi, thou, thyst, thost. And I, I, I can't pray. I'm not going to a prayer service. That might not be the best first invitation. But I wonder if you encountered this friend. Let's go with the guys for a second. Have you encountered this friend and say, hey, do you like playing sports? 
Do you like basketball? Oh, yeah, I mean, I love to play basketball. Not as good as I used to be, but, you know, I love to play basketball. Hey, we got this gym at the church. A bunch of us are getting together. Uh, why don't you join us? Why don't you come play some basketball? Now, there's an invitation, right? Now, I'm not saying to be, to, to be chicken and not invite someone to church or to not invite someone to a Bible study or, or to something spiritual, but maybe that's a great first invitation. But don't lose sight that the invitation to salvation is always progressive. There's always a next step to it. That we're not going to stop with just inviting them to basketball. We're eventually going to invite them over to this building that has a steeple on it. And we're going to invite them and show them the pathway to salvation. But we do that progressively. Just as we saw in the scripture today. That Jesus at first was just come and see. Come and see. I like to call that come and see evangelism. That's really easy. Just come and see what the Lord has done for me. Come and see what's going on at my church. Come come to our, we're having an Easter egg hunt. Isn't that fun? Why don't you just come to the Easter egg hunt and do some resurrection eggs and go on this egg experience tour through different scenes of life. Just come. It's fun. It's family friendly. Just, just, just come. It's an invitation to, to come and see. But as you progress, those invitations can become deeper and definitely become more meaningful. And yeah, maybe sometime they're going to end up in your living room. They're going to end up in your house. They're going to end up at a table sharing a meal. But we need to remember that the invitation to salvation should always be progressive. Sometimes I think we need to take a step back. But sometimes I also think we don't need to, to be afraid to take a step forward. The second thing this morning is that our invitation needs to be personal. It needs to be personal. We need to be clear and we need to be personal with people. I call it the GTK thing. Get to know. Get to know the person. Get to know. Well, what do they like? What speaks into their heart? What speaks into their life? Make it clear that you want people to discover a relationship with Jesus and not just a religion. Make it clear that you want people to discover a relationship and not a religion. And you do that through being personal within, with them. And that's the mistake I think we think a lot, we make a lot of times as Christians, is that we go and we start this um, progressive invitation process, but we don't ever find out anything about the person. Because there's a lot of guys in here that aren't into sports, but they're into hunting. You give them, you give them a weapon like a gun or bow and arrow or something, man, they're all about that. Let's go, let's go hunting. Now, how people can go do that for 13 hours in the freezing cold and it's dark and you know, I mean, Seibel, every time we send him out, he gets hurt, you know? I mean, how people like that, I, I don't know, you know? But, uh, but whatever it is, find out what that person needs. Make it personal. When you're, invite, when you're inviting them, uh, making that invitation, make it, make it a personal invitation. Personalize that. Find out where that spot is. I have a pastor friend in Chicago named Tim Harlow, and uh, he advised me uh, right when I became senior minister here at Oakwood, we started a relationship, and I've kept in touch through the years. And I remember one of the things that he always says you can't go wrong is find out where people itch and scratch it for them. Just find out where people itch and scratch it. Are they scratching in their marriage? They're itchy in their marriage because it's not going well? Find, find out where people itch and scratch it. Start speaking to life in the marriage. Maybe it's their kids. It's like we have no idea how to parent these rugrats that are going around everywhere and it's just crazy. Well, find out where people itch and scratch it. Maybe they have this deep wound inside of them. And it just makes them just a chronically negative person. I mean, they, they can't like anything. You know, I mean, they, they just can't like their job. And they can't like anybody at work and nobody, people. And they can't like their finances. And they can't like their spouse. And there's some deep wound from the past they need to work through. Find out where people itch and scratch it. But make it a personal invitation to salvation. 
The third thing that we can uh, learn from our passage today is that we need to also be practical. We need to also be practical. There was a practicality to the invitation that Jesus made to these men to follow Him, to come and see. They were going to come and see and come and experience things that were going to be really exciting for them. We need to invite people to come experience the way of Jesus, and you need to invite them to do it with you. Come experience the way of Jesus with me. Let's make this practical. You know, we live in a culture today that is so pragmatic. And I, and I, I like to think of this in Christian terms as, as like a pragmatic Christianity versus a theoretical Christianity. And a theoretical Christianity being a version that's just like all scholarly and it's all head knowledge and it's, you know, re recite some things and say a little prayer and you'll be all right. Where people are like, I want a real faith. I want something that's practical. Practical, And in this society that's all about pragmatism and what it can do for me and what's next for me, we sometimes need to bring that with us and bring that mindset with us as we're offering them an invitation. And we need to ask them to come and see and come work alongside of us. Come and see the, and experience the way of Jesus and how he's changed my life. There's so many opportunities we have to do this to make it really practical for people. Christian service. People celebrate good deeds in the world. They, they celebrate when someone serves another person. They celebrate when people invest in, in a project that's maybe making the community better. And in our Christian service, in our good deeds, we should do that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets to that point where he's talking about um, Christians and followers being salt and light. And he says there in Matthew 5, 16, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and stick it under a bowl. No, instead they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. And then in verse 16 he says, Let your light shine before men so they what? So they can see your good deeds. Why? To praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Good deeds. Christian service. Maybe it's some relationship help. Maybe it's help with their friendships. Maybe it's help with their marriage. You know, uh, we have a marriage series that we're going to be doing um, right after Easter. And we're hoping that I'll really enrich marriages, help marriages, help maybe some who are struggling in that most important relationship um, other than God in their life. And, and, and so we want to be practical in that and offer them real help for their situations. And, and sometimes uh, this is a, a story that can be shared by you is what I call a situational turnaround. Maybe that's something that's really practical that they can see in someone's life. Maybe you could give a financial example that this is how we were managing our, our finances and we were stingy. We weren't giving anything uh, to the Lord. And then we read the Bible and we, we saw what, what God commanded of us. And so we started operating our finances God's way. And when we did that, look at how we're blessed by this. We, this is what's happened. We have a complete financial turnaround in our life. We're getting, we're getting out of debt. We're debt free. It's great. Maybe it's something in a career. Maybe it's, hey, I was working this way and then I was reading the Bible and I, I figured out that, that I should respect the authorities in my life. And so I hadn't been doing that at work and so I just kind of reset my mindset and Jesus through His Holy Spirit helped me and, and now I'm, I, I've got a promotion. I'm, I'm, I'm in a way better place than I was before and, and I'm, I'm doing this new position within the company and it's this situational turnaround that is so practical for people. People can relate to that and say, oh, I see, I see, I see what Jesus has done in your life. Sometimes they just see that in our witness. They see that in the change in our character. They see that there's practicality to this faith that we walk. So in our invitation to salvation, we need to be progressive. We need to be personal. We need to be practical. The fourth thing is we need to be passionate. 
Don't be afraid to be passionate. Don't be afraid to be excited about Jesus and what He's done for you. Communicate it. Communicate with intensity and urgency the value of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's really two ways to do that. You focus on the now, and you focus on the eternal. You focus on the now doing the things I was just talking about when you're being practical and showing them examples of what Jesus can do for us now and how he can change your life and change your trajectory. But then you need to also focus on the things eternal. One of those questions that is so hard for people to answer is if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and all that is said in the Word of God is absolutely true, what would you say to him? What would you say to him? That you're good enough to get into heaven? That you have some righteous deeds or a long list of check, check the boxes type of list that is going to get you into heaven? When you read in Scripture where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, it doesn't matter what you say about you. <laughs> it matters if you know Jesus. It matters what you say about Jesus in that moment. And that should stir in with us a passion, a passion for our families, a passion for the lost people that we rub shoulders with every day. Nothing can ever replace passion. You've experienced it in your life. You have maybe got drawn into things that you weren't drawn into before, but somebody with passion presented an idea, presented something to you, and it was through their passion you were so deeply moved that it caused a change of direction in your life. Passion is an intense desire and an enthusiasm for evangelism and for lost people. Passion for seeing God save people. Passion for seeing God transform them. Be passionate. I think we're in a in a, in a day where sometimes it's just not cool, you know, especially for us guys. It's just not cool to be passionate about Jesus, you know, and it's really hard. I feel like I'm going to Oprah's book club when I say, well, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And be passionate about what he's done for you. Be passionate about the difference that he's made in your life and be real about it. But bring the, bring the passion to the invitation to salvation. So we're going to make it progressive. We're going to make it personal, practical. We're going to make it and do it with passion. And the last thing this morning is we're going to be persistent. We're going to be persistent. Now, we don't really want to be obnoxious and in your face about it. Like a drippy faucet. You don't want to really be uh, in your face about it like what I call a Christian weirdo. You know, you know those weird Christians and they, they, you feel like they got a Bible in their hand, they're going to beat you upside the head with it, you know. It's like, come to Jesus, Come to Jesus, you know, not that kind of thing. Amy and I were in Oklahoma City this week, uh, uh, down there for a, a doctor's appointment, and uh, we had pulled up to this intersection, and it was like, a, you know how Oklahoma City is, like a nine-way stop, you know, I don't know how these nine intersections work, but there's stoplight, and there were these guys there in these green shirts, and it was very, very visible, uh, they were wearing the shirts on purpose, and it said something about Jesus saves, and it had a scripture, and another guy had another one, you know, something about Jesus in a scripture, and they're walking around with a piece of paper in one hand and a bucket in the other, and these guys weren't just standing there and just saying hi or waving, no, they were coming to your window, 
They were, they were coming to your window. They were you know, knocking on the window, wanting you to roll down and engage them. They want to give you this piece of paper about the ministry, and they really want you to give. You know, and that you're going to be blessed if you put it in my bucket and all this kind of stuff. And to me and Amy, as we pulled away from that experience, it's like we love God. We love the church. We love Christian ministry and organizations, and we tend to be generous toward all of those things. But to me, it was kind of an affront. I was just kind of a, it was just too in, in your face. It's like, you guys are trying too hard. And it really, for me, became about them trying to fundraise more than try to share Jesus with people. And so sometimes we have to be really, really careful how, how, we, how we do this, but we need to be persistent. Persistent, but not obnoxious. Persistent, but not in your face. Don't come off as some Christian weirdo. Persistence reflects that you believe these things with a deep conviction, and it shows that you genuinely care. Persistence reflects that you believe these things with deep conviction and shows genuine care. And Christians, we need to make sure we don't ever give up in the face of a few no's. Yeah, you're going to get some no's in life. Didn't Jesus? But we're called to be persistent. You know, there's some uh, problem I think that some of us have. Some of us don't ever share. Like if I were to ask you this morning, have you ever shared the invitation to salvation with someone in your life? Most of us sitting here probably say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. But have you shared an invitation to salvation with someone? And a lot of people would say no, and we kind of make excuses. You know, no, I've never done that. I'll tell you the reason why. Okay, it's because I don't want to mess it up for somebody. I mean, I don't know what to say. Say Scripture. I don't know what to, to do. Do what Scripture says. I, I don't know how to pray. Pray like it says in the Bible. It just, just, I, I just don't know what to do. I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. And if I, you know, if I say the wrong word, they'll never, ever come to Jesus. And I just can't take on that kind of responsibility. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And it's like we can make all the excuses in the world of not having the right words or not saying the right things. But... God nonetheless calls us. This is who we're called to be in Christ Jesus. And if this is you this morning, then every time we offer an evangelism class here at the church, you ought to be in it. Just remove that excuse right out of the way. Anytime we offer a class on sharing your faith, evangelism, knowing the background of the Bible, knowing what to say, you want to learn those things on how to share your faith and have some confidence in it, then you ought to be in that class on Wednesday night every time we offer it. You study this out with your friends. You do it in your small group time. You do it in your Sunday school class, whatever it takes. But don't let knowledge get in the way of your invitation to someone's salvation. It's too important. And I don't think Jesus, Jesus requires that. You read in the book of Acts, the disciples he called that he said, here, run everything. I'm going to heaven with the heavenly father. I'm going to be with you, but do this mission for me. You know what they're called in the book of Acts? Unschooled, ordinary men. Really? You're going to leave the mission of salvation in the hands of unschooled, ordinary men? Yes. Because that's when Jesus' glory shines brightest. You know, one of the things to consider is the season that we're in. There's actually statistics and data to back this up that Christmas season and Easter season, the weeks leading up to Christmas and the weeks leading up to Easter, that's just five weeks away now, are two times of the year that people are most open to two things. Listen to the two things that people are open to this time of year. They're open to an invitation to church that they might actually go, and they're open to an invitation to hear the gospel. Wow. Wow. We're in a season now 
of acceleration. People are thinking about these things. They, they've heard about Lent. They've heard about some liturgical things going on. And they know there's these Easter celebrations and, and things coming up. And so they're aware of it. It's kind of a blip on their radar. And as we get closer to Easter, the stories about Jesus and salvation, what's going on in the Middle East, all these things will amplify. And it's a great season to invite someone to church and invite them to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Because if you think about it, why are some of you a part of God's family? Why, why are some of you... Uh, have citizenship in the heavenly kingdom it's because someone invited you to salvation it's because someone cared enough and knew they may not have the right words but they just said straight truth to you they invited you to be a part of the kingdom of God the way I want to end this series this morning is not by anything that I would say but by God speaking directly through his word this morning so I'm going to share a just little snippets of scripture with you and I just want you to allow God to speak to you this morning as I, as I read these and as we close out this series with these this morning let God penetrate your heart let God penetrate your mind right now we're going to start with Matthew 28 18 through 20 if you've never taken this to memory as a Christian do it because it's just with you all the time and God uses it to motivate Jesus in Matthew 28 18 through 20 some of his final words before leaving this world he said this to his disciples. He said, All authority on heaven and earth have been given unto me. And therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, as you go on this mission, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter the apostle, Peter the disciple writes this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul talking to the Christians in Rome, he said this, he proclaimed this to them, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And I'll leave you with the theme verse for this series. Acts 1.8. Some of the final words Jesus spoke to the disciples before he ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Heavenly Father. He told his disciples this, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth.